1: You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs. Tonight, we're going to be continuing to run to the daylight in the NFL offseason with Russell Clay. He is a college and NFL writer for various sources, and he has recently put together something I found fascinating. So, we're going to go dig deep into his form that he posted on Twitter. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Todd with one D from PA, and Russell, if memory serves, is Russell J. Clay on Twitter, but we'll have him clarify that. Russell, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me on, Todd. This is um, awesome, and uh, yes, Russell Joseph Clay, if you're wondering what the J stands for, that is my Twitter handle. You can certainly check that out if you'd like.
1: Um, awesome. You know, one thing I've been meaning to ask you, and and I had a a pre-planned question, but are you related to Mike Clay?
0: Okay, so I feel like it's better for my brand if I tell people I am, but no, no, we kind of had a running joke for a while that, uh, we were related, but no, we're not related.
1: That's mildly disappointing, I must admit. (laughs) (laughs) You, you, You know, what's interesting is, uh... You know, whenever I hear the name Clay, uh, did you ever see uh, Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, the barbershop scene?
0: Oh, boy, I've seen bits and pieces of that movie.
1: Yeah, well, they they had a, you know, Eddie Murphy played all the parts, uh, an old white guy, uh, the old barber, and they get into an argument over, you know, whether Muhammad Ali should be called Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay. And the one guy goes, I say Clay, I say Clay, his name's Clay. So every time I think I hear the name Clay, for some reason, that stupid movie jumps into my head.
0: Well, I'm uh, I'm glad. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I was going to say, I'm glad there's a correlation between me and uh, Eddie Murphy. Then I'd say that's good territory.
1: Absolutely. Especially if you're trying to be humorous, which I occasionally dabble with. Um, But I'm glad you're uh, you, you decided to join me. Uh welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How old you are? Where are you from? And a little bit about your history with fantasy football and how you got into writing for it.
0: I'm 27, uh going on, you know, 40 or 30, I don't know. I don't know what happens after you turn 30, but I hear uh I hear good things and bad things. But uh
1: it's it's the dipping your toe in the in the water of getting old.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Things start to get creaky. Uh but I'm from Western Massachusetts. I've grown up here and pretty much lived here my whole life uh right right around Amherst UMass. Big fan of UMass basketball. We had we had some drama today. The the new head coach backed out last minute, so I'm hurting there. But uh you know, we're going to get through it and talk some fantasy football. Uh I I was a big dynasty guy from the beginning. That's kind of how I started this whole – that's how I kind of got on Twitter because, you know, Sigmund Bloom and and Matt Waldman were, were like, the only guys on here tweeting about random guys I didn't know about. So that's how I got on here in, like, I don't know, 2009, 2010. But I, I started playing fantasy football in around 2006, 2007. My brother got me in one of his local leagues, and I fell in love ever since. You know, I had LaDainian Tomlinson. Unfortunately, we don't have many guys like that anymore. But uh, it, it was certainly no, that, a fun experience, that, and I, I that kind of it. running
1: back just doesn't exist anymore, it seems. Although last year it kind of did. I mean, you look at date, what David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell did. I, I didn't check it versus Tomlinson and his 23 touchdowns or whatever it was, but uh, pretty impressive running back years last year.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited and. I'm not going to say we could have seen this coming, but there's, there definitely were some indicators that the prospects that were coming out were good. Um, David Johnson obviously came out of nowhere, but you know, Melvin Gordon, uh, a few of the other guys that really broke out, were all, were all pretty highly drafted, you know? So I, I think, I think there are, there aren't ways we can predict David Johnson's, you know, 2000 plus all scr- plus scrimmage yards in a season, but overall, uh, I think this stuff uh, and looking at positions and evaluating uh, where where the runs are coming and where the dips in terms of prospects are is, is actually uh, somewhat predictable.
1: Well, that that's interesting. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that and how you decided to focus on college football?
0: Well, I, I would say I've always been taken a, a bigger interest into college sports growing up I was a big basketball guy and they have the the local Amherst College basketball camp which is pretty well renowned around here and from the the moment I got there I just thought the college experience of of like prospects and them getting recruited going to this college the coaches developing them and sort of going through the whole process it was just always fascinating to me, uh, even more so than the games. I, I just find the development of of the players and how they grow, and the ups and downs, and and basically the experience of it all. Uh, I interviewed a, a former college football player named Brendan Marion about a year ago, and you know, I just talked to him about his story, and I I don't know, I just I just fall in love with the stories. Um, of of a lot of these college prospects, you know.
1: Absolutely, and you know, <clears throat> I had I used to play a hobby called simulation football, which is kind of based off of old board games. And we would draft all every position, and then use the we would then use the uh, the the the, simula- uh, the computer simulation to play games against each other, actually calling plays. Um, So I'm used to a dynasty-like format, but the league that you and I are in together with Mike Tagliari is my first official real dynasty league. But being a big dynasty guy, how many leagues are you in and how big of an advantage it is? um, Do you think it gives you studying college players like you do?
0: So there's, there's a few different versions of dynasty leagues. And I will say watching college football certainly helps for rookie drafts. Uh, It certainly gives you a preview. I don't necessarily think it's necessary for dynasty leagues though, especially if you're more of a casual dynasty player. I I think you can get through it without watching much and, and just picking through. Uh, There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of really good content. And I think you, get through it even if you don't watch college football but you know if you are i i certainly think it think it helps and gives you an advantage over people who just don't um watch it all uh, i i am in between 10 to 15 dynasty leagues depending on the year uh trying to cut down as all dynasty players say and then you know as as spring rolls around and as the rookies get into the player pool i always find myself in the new startup
1: yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, hi, my name is Russell, and I'm a Dynasty League addict. Hi, Russell. <laughs> yeah, I haven't joined a new fantasy Dynasty League in three weeks. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like that. It it really is addictive. And, uh, you know, I, they now have some Dynasty best ball leagues, which I think makes it even worse if you're an addictive personality because you can take on more because the really hard part to me anyway of fantasy is doing all the waiver pickups and who to start and who to sit when you get up to 10 15 leagues i can't imagine doing all that work
0: you brought up a fantastic point which is that best ball dynasty leagues are by far my favorite format uh you you get the best of both both worlds which is you draft and then your depth matters like I, I had a few guys last year that weren't necessarily difference makers. They weren't necessarily week to week starters. But a guy like JJ Nelson, you know, if you had conviction on him and picked him up in the twenty whatever round, he actually helped you. And I, I so again, that's where you go back to to the college stuff. That's kind of where I think this this college research pays off with the sort of smaller school guys and uh, the the big production guys that you know maybe went. When underrated or things like that, that's kind of where I think the impact is made. So that's why I I love uh, Dynasty Best Ball League and and Nathan I've been pushing Nathan Powell I've been pushing him to make uh, another one uh, and and I'm only in two right now but I can tell you I I love them.
1: Well, if you get in another one, let me know if it's if I like the rules, I definitely would do it. Um, you know, because I'm addicted to MFL tens. So if you take best ball and dynasty and mix them together, I think that could be a very dangerous cocktail for me. Um, As far as the rookies and understanding, you know, how do you kind of leverage that knowledge when you, you know, do you kind of identify the guys in a league who seem to really know their rookies and those who don't? Are there a couple tricks that you might want to share with some of our listeners on ways that they can leverage being uh, well-studied at, uh, at the rookies?
0: There's, there's quite a few different strategies with Dynasty, and especially, especially with rookie picks. There's, there's a lot of emphasis for and against rookie picks, and I ultimately think it's somewhere in the middle. But you, you tend to notice early on who's who's going for more veteran heavy teams and who's going for more young heavy teams. And that obviously has a huge effect on the trade market and, and sort of how how the the landscape of the league is going to to shift in the coming years. So I, I think it's it's pretty obvious from the startup who's gonna be going win now, who's trading away future assets for Jordy Nelson. And uh, who is sort of holding back, maybe slowly acquiring picks and, and maybe not looking to win year one. I tend to fall more in the middle. But, yeah, a, as you, you know, kind of mentioned in terms of advice, uh, I'm, I'm afraid to trade future first. I've just seen it end so badly. Uh, in, in Dynasty. I, I don't think it's always a bad move, especially if you're getting, you know, a stud. Then it, The name of the game is ultimately get studs. If you're getting studs, then then that's great. Um, I just always want that insurance plan of if, if my plan fails, then, you know, I have the 101 instead of throwing all my chips in one basket and having it, you know, crash and burn. So I guess that's my conservative uh, take on that. But I think you can definitely tell, and, and it becomes obvious early on, who's who's in on rookies and who's not, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to be more active trader, no matter what the league, no matter what the format. I tend to be more of an active trader, and I'm always kind of looking for little edges on anything from does a guy have a favorite team, does a guy have a favorite player, does a guy like overvalue or undervalue picks, in my opinion. Because to me, trading at the end of the day comes down to bringing more value back to your roster than what you give up. And I always feel like as an active trader, I can trade a number one as long as I'm getting really good value because I can always trade later and get another one. And that's always again, in simulation is a is a different animal to a certain extent, but it works off the same principles. Um, so to me, I, I I won't say that I won't trade my first round pick, but I really am going to make sure that I'm getting something where I don't have to really think twice about the deal. It's one where I know that I'm I'm making a good trade. In the NFL, anything could happen. You could you could trade make a great trade and the guy gets hurt. And things of that nature but that's kind of what i look for you put it together a very handy guide that you've currently pinned to your twitter account if anyone wants to uh, follow along and open up the document go to russell uh, russell j clay on uh, twitter and the first thing pinned there you'll see a google doc we're going to pull that up tell us a little bit about this form and how you put it together
0: so this is sort of a long time coming. This is about uh, I'd say 4 or 5 years of of me actually getting into evaluating prospects. And I wanted a place to basically dump all the things I feel are important and and all the things that I think could potentially, you know, indicate future success and and things I find most important that maybe aren't necessarily commonly thought uh you know in, in the general landscape of of the dynasty community or fantasy football community in general uh i i mean especially for wide receivers and running backs i i think production is important and i i've researched a lot of sort of rotoviz has has a lot of good stuff on you know market share and and what's valuable and and when breakout age is important i kind of sort of acclimate myself to a lot of that type of stuff and you know generally speaking I just want to find uh, what indicates you know what what's a positive indicator for these prospects and what what can I actually say semi-definitively okay this is a good thing generally speaking in, in a macro sense this is a bad thing And I kind of add it all up at the end and say, okay, I'm going to add all these things together, and hopefully I can come up with a logical conclusion for this prospect.
1: Yeah, and I think you've done an excellent job. One of the very interesting things you have on here is player comps. Um, In other words, who the player reminds you of, I guess you could say. I'm sure there's more analytics that go into it, which leads me to the question, how do you come up with those player comps for your form?
0: Right. So this was the last thing I added, and I wasn't totally sure I was going to even add it. But then at the end of the day, I wanted to see what it looked like. So first of all, Uh, the projected draft position is highly correlated to the prospect comparable. So uh, once I get to the final, you know, equation here, uh, when you add, you know, conference, year one opportunity, um, when they broke out, what their production career looked like, what their measurables are, what they looked like at the combine. uh, and, And, you know, then you get that projected draft position, then I think we can start to look at what players in the past sort of have similar or took similar paths, I guess you could say. Um, So, I mean, and then, then you kind of look at, I I look in a range of like 30 to 60 picks uh, of where I see the player going. Um, So if a player's a late first rounder, I'll look in, you know, the twenties to uh, you know, the early second round or somewhere around there and and sort of determine, okay, what, what roles were these players projected to be in? Uh, what roles did they go to? And, and you know, you just kind of add all that together. I mean, we can look through um, a few examples if you want to go through them.
1: Uh, sure. Why don't we um, do one guy that I you – know, well, I don't want to do that one because why don't we do it when I ask the question about the one guy where I mention it? um just give me two questions and we'll come back to that <laughs> sure. um because i also before we go there i kind of wanted to talk about what i i think most people will kind of their eye will go to pretty quickly which is their year one opportunity potential which you rate guys from a 0 to 10 and um you know especially since while well, Guys like you and I play a lot of dynasty. Most fantasy football people are redraft people. So how good a guy's chance of being successful that year. So how do you come by your year one opportunity potential?
0: So this comes with a lot of experience at looking at player potential roles. And again, that goes back to the the comparable and, and how I see that player fitting into an offense in year one. Um, I, I think draft position is is highly important in determining what opportunity that player gets, both for his career and early on, uh, especially when you look at a, a lot of the players that break out in year one. Uh, it, it's a lot of highly drafted guys, especially the ones that are potential league winners. And that's the big reason why I wanted to do this was to get something out there for MFL 10s because these rookies get thrown into the player pool. And especially this month before the draft, it's super hard to, especially if you're coming in cold and not, and not watching any uh, prospects, it's super tough to determine what type of opportunity these guys are even looking at. So if I could give a little context as to what type of opportunity these guys are looking at in year one, uh, I think I've done my job. Yeah, and you have.
1: And I think part of it, ob- obviously, is what school the guy is from, what conference, um, you know, what how old he is. You know, someone a little older, obviously, is going to have more of a chance. And of course, draft position is, as you mentioned, I think the key. Um, while year one is important. For guys like you and me who play Dynasty, is there anything else on your chart that might kind of give a longer term? Or is that something you might add in future uh, versions of this?
0: Uh, So in terms of long-term stuff, I mean, I definitely think the conference, as you mentioned, is an extremely important part, especially if you're doing production research. You need to adjust Uh, all production from smaller schools versus power five schools. Uh, Not necessarily because the prospects are bad, but because draft position is, is pretty clearly correlated to, you know, big time schools and players that produce at a high level in college. So you kind of, those are kind of the two basic things that I think are are really important um, for production research. But in terms of long-term, projection again I put best year in here and that's kind of what I focus on what did their best season look like what did they look at look like at their very best when their conditions were their best because I, I just see so many college careers that go up and down and up and down and up and down and if you're only evaluating the final season or one season um you know down the board of players' careers, they're not all going to look the same, and they all they all didn't peak uh, in that final season. Some players were playing through injuries. Some lost their head coach. Some, uh, you know, were dealing with outside off the field stuff. There's just a lot of things that go into the college experience for these prospects, and I, I think it's important to at least be aware what they were at the very best. <clears throat>
1: Okay, um, I'm fighting through a little bit of a cold today. So uh, since you've broken this out by position, let's focus on players by the position rather than kind of a who's the best overall. So if anyone is following along, we're going to start with the wide receivers. In the wide receiver, you have a column called market share. How important do you find market share is for wide receivers in college?
0: I I think it's extremely important, and this is something that I I credit to the Rotoviz guys for sort of bringing to my attention, but if you are looking at just base stats and you don't want to get too deep into it, you can still look at counting stats. But at the same time, you have to be aware of where they stood in their own offense. So, for instance, if a guy has 1,500 receiving yards, but the team threw for 5,000 passing yards. Um, and then you compare him to a guy who had 1,000 yards, but the team only threw for 2,500 passing yards. That's like a huge difference. Um, and that's why I put them next to each other. I do think the base, base receiving yards is important. Uh, I've found through what I've looked through that uh, – if you want to see a player have above 700 receiving yards in at least one season before you get too excited, I believe something like, when I looked it up, it was like 88.9% of of receivers who have had um, above 800 receiving yards in an NFL season have had, you know, above 700 receiving yards in college. So, I mean, that's a pretty large chunk Um, of fantasy-relevant wide receivers. So, uh, I mean, I think the base receiving yards is important, but market share really gives you a, a key into what they were specifically to their offense.
1: Yep. Another thing that you have on the form that I thought is very good is yards per reception. And you basically broke it out by the full career, which, again, it, it kind of takes out a, a lot of the noise of an, an injury or a guy who you know was late to the game. But how, in general, how do you find yards per reception in college relates to pro production? Both in the sense of does it tend to be what you can expect of the type of wide receiver they are. And is there anything in that key stat you look for when considering drafting wide receivers in dynasty and in redraft? That was some question.
0: So on, yards <clears throat> yards per reception is a very dirty, non-sticky stat. Um, I, I, there's a lot of noise with it. There's a lot of what your college offense ran in it. So I, I do want to throw that out Uh First and foremost, I look at a guy like Jalen Robinette for for Air Force this year. He's a big guy who people were really excited about his production before the combine. And I I certainly uh, can respect any guy who goes above 20 yards per reception. But when you take a look at that offense and the conference and sort of how they ran, they were basically run, 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 and then maybe once or twice a game chuck it up to to Robinette and he's usually single covered because they're so focused on the run. So there's a lot of stuff like that in there. But at the end of the day, uh, if you're looking at a player I, I put yards per reception for best season and for their career. Um I think it gives you an idea of what type of targets they're looking at. Um, obviously, you know, A dot and all that is is tremendous. Um if you have that available, that's great as well. But um I think in terms of yards per reception it kind of gives you a glimpse into what their role potentially is. Uh and and a guy that I think is is pretty intriguing for this year is Mike Williams who is sort of a divisive figure for me this year because his final season was not what I think he is. Uh they turned him into a possession receiver and I think he's a deep threat and that's why I indicated sophomore year here. But you know, they turned him into a possession receiver because they have another big time prospect in Dion Kane on the outside now. Uh, So there's a lot of things you can sort of debate there, but at least for now, my take is that Mike Williams is a deep threat. So, you know, that's kind of how I use it. I I think it's helpful for the comparable.
1: Yep. No, I, uh, I like it. And that kind of leads me into the next question. You have Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross, and Curtis Samuel, all as potential first-round picks. How do you personally rate them, one to four?
0: Oh boy! Uh, I'll first say I think this wide receiver class is below average. Um, I think it's there's solid prospects, um, but when you're comparing to you know the the top of the top. Uh, wide receiver classes we've seen over the past eight years, which is a lot of really good uh, classes. This one doesn't quite stack up, but I'll I'll say in in terms of prospects, Corey Davis is probably the best small school receiving prospect we've seen in at least 10 years, 10 to 15 years. Uh, I expect him to go in the mid to late first, even without that combine. So uh, I'd put him number one, uh, Mike Williams has been, you know, my number two, two there, but I, I guess it, it kind of gets all confusing to me because I think Juju Smith Schuster is my best, my, my favorite prospect in the draft. <laughs> so he, he, he's my number one, but out of the first round picks, um, I think Corey Davis is number one. I'd say Mike, Mike Williams is two. Uh, John Ross is three. um. And and Curtis Samuels, four However, um, I think John Ross is going to be the first wide receiver off the board um, Obviously in the doc, it's mentioned there too But yeah, I, I kind of see that's how it's going to be going
1: It does seem like he, you know, coming out of the combine You do tend to sometimes see certain guys get wind in their sails a little bit And he does certainly seem to have that wind right now Um, We had talked earlier about comps, and this is where Corey Davis, to me, has the best comps in Eric Moulds and John Walker, Javon Walker, both game breakers, but he comes from a smaller school. Did you see the type of domination in his tape versus Mac competition that you would hope for? And what do you think is the biggest possible concern for a guy like that coming into the pros?
0: So there is usually concern for me with smaller school guys, but as I mentioned, every once in a while there's exceptions. And uh, from basically the last few years, I've been kind of slowing, trying to slow down the hype train on Corey Davis, just being like, well, let's hold on. Let's see what he does. Let's see where he's going to get drafted. And all indications are that he's going mid to late first. And that's all I need to say, okay, okay, uh, this guy's the real deal. Um, I, I thought he looked tremendous on tape. Um, I've tried to get away from that slightly because I don't necessarily consider myself a a savant um, on the tape, but I definitely do watch quite a bit of him and have seen quite a few of his games over the years. And, I mean, he was utterly dominant. Uh, I, I see him as, you know, sort of that Eric Moulds who – is going to break long plays pretty consistently and the same thing with Javon Walker in the, in that big, you know, the, the few big years he had, that's kind of what I see Corey Davison, sort of an intermediate player um, that mostly does damage, you know, in those, you know, six to, to 12 yard routes, but can also, he's also going to get a ton of yak um, yards after the catch and, and be a guy who can, you know, break those big plays like Eric Molds used to do. So that's that's kinda yeah. where I got that from. And both of those guys were were obviously <coughs> relatively high high picks, uh first rounders. So that's kinda of where I got that.
1: Yeah, I like it. Um you mentioned Juju um and uh Juju and uh, you there's also Carlos Henderson, Zay Jones is clear second round projections and D.D. Dee Dee Westbrook, Josh Malone, Taewon Taylor, and Chris Godwin as possible second-round picks. Again, give us a quick insight into each player, his key attributes, and points of concerns if you have some, and maybe who your favorite, well, we already know who your favorite is. It's Juju. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I love Juju. I fell in love with him after 2015. He he had the best season of anyone in this class in my opinion, um in terms of taking into account, you know, the the school he played for and the conference he played for. I think that that year where he had, you know, 1500 receiving yards on 16 yards per reception. You got to be pretty dominant every play to do something like that. Uh but again, we we look at the draft position Based on his combine, I'm not sure he goes, you know, as high as I initially wanted him to. So I I love him. Uh, I compared him to Aurelius Ben, Anquan and Devontae Adams, somewhere in that range. Obviously, we don't like to see Aurelius Ben, but uh, he was he was a pretty good prospect at one time back in the Illinois days. So um, in terms of Carlos Henderson, he's a yak monster. Was awesome in the return game at Louisiana Tech. Uh, he had some incredible games this season, Louisiana tech passed the ton. He actually didn't even lead his team in receiving yards, but I mean, he had a 300 yard game. He had like back to back 200 plus yard receiving games. Uh, and he, he was just dominant. Um, from a a overall player standpoint, he was everything for them. Deep threat, uh, slot guy, he he did everything. So I really like him. Uh, Zay Jones was someone I wasn't high on at all. Uh, I kind of assumed he would take the the Justin Hardy route with with East Carolina and just be a you know slot third or fourth option on an offense and. You know, he'll he'll make it a few years, but I didn't expect him to have that athleticism at the combine. Um, that certainly made me rethink things. I, I see him in that Jerome Simpson type uh skill set, but Simpson, um, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean you can't deny the athleticism he showed along with that production certainly makes you think twice. D.D. Westbrook is a total wild card. Uh, I compared him to Paul Richardson and Donnie Avery. I expect him to go in the second or third. I think that's a little higher than a lot of people are projecting him at this point after the interviews. But based on that final season production, I don't think any team's letting him slide too far. Uh, he was certainly impressive, and and I actually have pretty high hopes for him. Uh, yeah. jo- I'm, go I'm sorry, go ahead. Keep going. I was just going to talk about Josh Malone. Um, probably my favorite draft if we're probably my favorite prospect, if we're talking about value uh, from a value standpoint, I think Josh Malone is a tremendous prospect was a five-star uh, recruit coming into college. Didn't really show a ton of signs in that kind of ugly Tennessee offense for the first few years, but they finally got the passing game going uh, last year and he was awesome. You know, 19 yards per reception, and pretty much making game-breaking plays every time he touched it. So pretty interesting guy there for sure.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Zay Jones. I did um, start my studying, and part of that is the Senior Bowl, where to me he was the best wide receiver on the field with all due respect to Mike Mayock's man love for uh, Cooper Cup. Um, hmm. How much do you weigh Senior Bowl week and the game performance in in rating players, if much at all.
0: I always value new imp- information, and I think that's an important thing to do. So if smart people are coming out of the senior bowl and saying someone is uh, a really good prospect and he played really well, I'm going to take that into account. But you brought up Cooper Cup. uh That is a situation where he's a much tougher sell to me than Zay Jones, um, and, and I, I actually did, I was paying attention to the Zay Jones. I didn't necessarily listen to it, but after the combine, I mean, obviously they were right. So I do take it into account just for accounting purposes. I don't necessarily use it in my evaluation though.
1: Yeah. I I can't get behind Cooper cup if for no other reason than the phrase Cooper cups, the balls. So, um, you know i just uh, trying to be funny all right so who are some of the under the radar players that you can f- that you know that you really like a bit later in the draft guys who may might not be guys who tear the world on fire year 1 but guys that you think are probably going to be drafted later than their talent and abilities kind of give Hmm. you reason, I can't finish the sentence, just answer the question, I guess.
0: (laughs) I I got you, I got you. Um,
1: I was was trying to end it professionally, failed miserably, so the ball is now literally in your court.
0: Hey, we got it, man, we got this. Uh, So the first guy I've been thinking about a lot lately is Robert Davis, who destroyed the combine, Um I had a comp to Chris Conley here because that's the type of athlete he displayed. He was, I haven't projected as a third rounder. I'm, I'm thinking about adjusting that to maybe a fourth or a fifth. I think teams are going to want to take a a risk on him, but I don't know if it's as early as I initially thought because of that small school. And because he's a little older, uh, I think that might hold him down but I mean man this guy is an incredible athlete he broke out at a pretty young age and I kind of look at that season and say he was good from his freshman season I think that's an interesting uh you know type of type of player and and physical specimen that I want to take a chance on in you know the third or fourth round of a rookie draft the other guy uh, Amba Adetayo people aren't really that high on him because he was a late bloomer. His his play doesn't really excite you. He's kind of just this... Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like... I mean, I compared him to Joaquin Iglesias and Early Doucette, which, uh, un, uh, unless you follow the draft, they're probably not household names, um, but they were both really good college players that got picked in the third round. Uh, Wasn't
1: the, Doucette a uh, LSU guy?
0: He was an LSU guy. He was right before the uh, –
1: I I pulled that one out of my butt.
0: (laughs) He was the pre-Landry Beckham LSU years. Um, But uh, Ambad Atawo, he he transferred from Maryland. Maryland had a really ugly – offense those first few years of his college career. Including, you know, Stefan Diggs is a guy that fell in the draft to the fifth round because he was in that Maryland offense and look at him now. So towel goes to Syracuse transfers and becomes, you know, one of the most productive wide receivers in, in uh in power five football this year. Obviously dominated the early portion of the season kind of fell off towards the end but i mean everything about his final season was dominant um so i am looking at him as a guy he 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 ran a i believe a 4-4-0 flat at his pro day uh you got to adjust pro days obviously but he's a pretty decent athlete i think he's looked at as not a great athlete right now someone i'm i'm definitely looking at um in the later rounds for sure
1: all right that's really good information um <clears throat> We'll finish the wide receivers with this question who are you know we mentioned Cooper cup, but who are the twitter wide receiver heroes that you think people are way overrated on?
0: <sighs> well honestly i I feel like uh I feel like twitter's got it got it pretty good this year i mean uh no, Matt that Harmon, can't be. <laughs> Matt Harmon obviously comes out with the reception perception stuff, and he highlighted Chris Godwin, uh, who was someone I wasn't really keen on, but he blew up the combine, plus has Matt Harmon behind him. Um, I think he's a pretty intriguing guy, so not overrated there. I mean, Carlos Henderson I love. Um, I, if I'm going to say anyone's overrated, I would say it's Mike Williams for the people who have him projected as you know a top five pick. Um, or a top 10 pick I don't see that I see him going in the late teens to 20s so I'm definitely not in on Mike Williams if people think he's a future number one I I see a Sidney Rice-ish type player who could be you know that that in a perfect situation could could be a really solid player but I don't see a dominant you know Des Bryant or AJ Green type prospect that some people see
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one uh, with my early research as well. Moving to the running back position, um, what are the most important things on your sheet that you think people should look at, and is it any different than how people should view this sheet versus the wide receiver sheet?
0: Yes, there are quite a few differences. Obviously, I look at yards per touch instead of um, yards per reception. uh, That takes into account, obviously, the rushing and receiving production. um, Market share of yards from scrimmage, I think that's um, a really important thing. Um, But, I mean, really, really, it's a little simpler for running backs. I don't think production matters as much for running backs um, in terms of, like, uh, a player... there's there's guys at the the ends of the spectrum the the really really dominant college producers the Melvin Gordons the um you know the Larry Johnsons I'll I'll randomly say the Tevin Coleman's a few years ago uh Dalvin Cook is one guy this year that I'm really really hard on um in terms of uh, okay that sounds weird yeah insert joke say, do you
1: want to rephrase that <laughs>
0: I'm I'm really high on Dalvin Cook uh because he had, you know, exceptional uh college production. But, you know, there's a lot a lot of a lot of factors in a running back's career. You know, running backs get hurt more. I, I think that's pretty clearly true. Uh there's a lot more crazy running back by committee systems. Um, so I use a lot of per touch stuff. I want to know, again, highlighting back, what were they at their best and what, how dominant were they over their career per touch? That's kind of what I'm trying to figure out to see, okay, uh, how much will this translate to the NFL? Um, what type of competition were they playing? And then I think, you know, Combine is a little more important for me, um, generally speaking, if they don't have that incredible production.
1: Yep. You have Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette both rated as 10 as far as potential for year one. If you had to flip a coin and you were drafting today in an MFL 10 and they're both staring you in the face where you don't know where they're going to land, who are you taking first and who are you taking second?
0: So my goal for this whole sheet was to try to be as unbiased as I can. Um, I like Dalvin Cook more. I think he's a better player. Um, I think he's would do better in a year one role than Fournette. But Fournette, I mean Fournette could go number five to the Jags. Uh, you know Fournette Fournette's gonna go higher. Um, I I have not projected as a mid round pick, but he's looking more into that ten range, you know, ten to fifteen or or potentially that Jags pick. And Dalvin's kind of, you know, sliding back. He had a really bad combine, which I'm not letting phase me. Yeah, I'm not letting it phase me yet. Um, If he if he does fall to the second round, I will start to question things. But as things are now, it's really really tough to see someone with that type of production fall to the second. Um, But yeah, Fournette is probably my guy right now. I just think he's going to have, you know, a, a a bell cow roll without any injuries needed. He's just going to go right in there and probably get, you know, 250 to 270 touches automatically. Uh, So I'd go with him.
1: As much talk as uh, there is about the big two that we've heard lately, I seem to find that McCaffrey is even more polarizing. What do you attribute this to and what's your take on him?
0: Do we do the football take or what's the real reason? <laughs> um,
1: why don't we do he's both? White.
0: He's white. Oh. I, I definitely think that's a reason why he's polarizing. Um, He's a special talent. Uh, a lot of people have been gaining steam on the him at one Oh one train for rookie drafts. I honestly don't have a problem with that. I don't, think that way but i don't have a problem with that you know i haven't projected as a late first rounder i think he could potentially fall into a really good situation year one especially if he goes to something like the chiefs but um you know he's a really good player he's one of the most productive players we've ever seen in college football uh he had crazy touches something that really no other uh, running back in this class had like comparatively speaking in both the rushing and receiving games. So that's certainly something to take into account. If you're thinking about him as just purely a third down back, I think he can definitely be more than that. Um, I don't see him being a Leonard Fournette bell cow though. I don't see any team ever giving him, you know, 330 touches a- as sort of a ceiling. I-, I could see Leonard Fournette having a ceiling like that. Um, but if you're talking about fantasy upside, I mean, I could definitely see McCaffrey falling into the right situation. Um, obviously did well at the combine. So yeah, he's, he's a good player. Uh, I like him. One of the, one of the better running back prospects we've had in recent years because you know, it's been slim pickings, but we, we finally got three good ones this year for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and I, you, you know, I hadn't even thought of the whole white thing um, because you know, I'm post-racial, but um, <laughs> But the, you know, no, seriously, I I just didn't think of it. And uh, the post-racial was the joke, um, to be funny. But, but, um, you know, we'll move on. And uh, Joe Mixon is, you know, (laughs) he's the most polarizing guy. You know, where McCaffrey, there's some slight issues. Joe Mixon wasn't invited to the combine for his incident where he hit a woman, You mentioned you have no idea where he'll be drafted in your form. Can you see him not being drafted at all, considering how much the NFL has perhaps overreacted to the Ray Rice incident after that got them a ton of bad press?
0: I say this with conviction, and I feel like everyone should say this with conviction. I have no idea where Joe Mixon is going to be drafted, and if you think you do, you're probably wrong. Um, this is kind of uh, a new era um, of sort of... We we haven't really seen this before from a potential first-round prospect just not getting invited to the Combine. Uh, obviously, players haven't gone to the Combine, but he just wasn't allowed to go, and obviously that tape coming out was a huge um, problem for his potential career. No, I do not think he goes undrafted. I've kind of settled on the idea that he's going in in the third to fifth round range but i'm not uh, uber confident in that ultimately i think he's good enough that wherever he goes he's just going to be so much better than you know (laughs) unless he goes to uh, i don't know arizona he's just going to be more talented than than the running back he's behind so uh, ultimately the nfl wants to win And he is a guy that could really change your offense. So I I have him at at a seven for year one opportunity just because we don't know where he's going to be drafted. But a seven for a guy that could potentially go in the sixth round or so is is high praise.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because in the old days, if Al Davis was around, you know, he'd be a Raider. Right Al Davis would say, I don't give a sh-, you know a, a snooky uh, I'm taking him, and if he's sitting there in the second round i'm I'm taking him and um, I, it also would be a great landing spot for him, so it'll be interesting to see how much of Al Davis his son has. Um, they're moving to Las Vegas, it looks like, and mixing to the Raiders would be a pretty interesting landing spot for him considering that offensive line. Um, you've got a few guys, Perrine, Foreman, and what I think is the best name in the draft, Alvin Kamara. They're all rated with second-round grades. Please tell us a little bit about each player and uh, if you have uh, a favorite there.
0: I definitely agree on the name. Ten out of ten name for Alvin Kamara. That's, that's a tremendous name. Um,
1: oh, my God. <laughs>
0: Um, Samaje Pirine is a guy that. See, now
1: that's the worst name.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, not a great. You name know, it, it's
1: like, uh, well, no, I can't draft a guy named Pirine. I <laughs> called him Pirine because I couldn't draft a guy named p Pirine.
0: Todd, I I called him I called him Pirine for at least two years before I actually knew it was Pirine. So I I mean, yeah, zero out of ten name for him. Um, but he's basically just,
1: <laughs> we should do a pod just <laughs> doing that. Like just <laughs> yeah, rating, ra- names. rating yeah. you know, we should do our own sheet where we just rate each name and make a funny joke about it.
0: You don't know how amazing that sounds to me. That is, that is one of my favorite things to do. So I, I might take you up on that. Um, Excellent. It, <laughs> Smaj P. Ryan, uh, basically, you know, that, that power, we're going to laugh every time. That power back that you want as a two-down grinder, Uh, he can catch the ball, but obviously he was in the same backfield as Joe Mixon the last two years, and that kind of zapped any true receiving down upside he was going to have. In terms of his career, he really primed as a freshman because Mixon was there, but obviously he was dealing with off-field stuff in that freshman season so Samaj Piron went for 1700 rushing yards had a 400 yard rushing game and was pretty much dominant the whole year and was looking to be a really high end prospect and then you know he's in a committee the last the last few years but still really solid Solid option. I, I see him like Sean Green or Eddie Lacy, that type of guy where they're gonna pound. They're gonna pound, um, you know, two downs and maybe get a little work on third down, but but not quite that upside of the upper tier guys. Deontay Foreman, pretty similar. Um, I have him compared to Beanie Wells. Obviously ran for 2,000 rushing yards this year. was was pretty dominant from the first week of the season on. Uh, in terms of i i do at the end i write best stretch of games for their career i think it's it's important to look at uh for both wide receivers and running backs like again furthering the point on when they were their most dominant sort of emphasizing the true stretch where they were at um their peak Uh, and i just put all of 2016 for foreman he had a rushing yards at least in every game uh at the end of the year there he was getting you know 30 to 50 carries a game he's that type of guy in the perfect situation i could see him getting 300 carries in the season without that receiving production um like him quite a bit uh expect him to have pretty decent year one opportunity uh kamara is the guy that Oh boy. He's getting, he's getting first round hype. I don't buy it. I have him as a second rounder. I could see early second round. I just can't, I can't envision him maybe in a different year. He goes first, but with these three others in front of him, I don't see him going first. Uh, He's, he's that third down on steroids type back Um, really good balance and and really good production per touch. Obviously was dominant in the receiving game, at Tennessee, uh, you know, was in a committee two years ago with Jalen Hurd um and, and still looked pretty good. The the guy he was in the committee with has since um transferred and, and switched to tight end. So um <laughs> that's that's something there. But uh you know in terms of Kamara, I like him. I don't necessarily think he's a feature guy I compared him to Deshaun Foster. Um, kind of a guy that's bigger athletic Can can really do some things Kind of like Tevin Coleman um, But I don't necessarily see a guy who's going to get Ever, you know, over 225 touches
1: Interesting I, I thought, you know, as a guy who grew up In the 70s, most Camaros Were really good straight But weren't very good making cuts or turns So uh, <laughs> you, you pretty much Just described the Camaro for Camara um, One of the Interesting guys to me in this draft Is Kareem Hunt He lost a lot of weight between the season and the Senior Bowl, which is always kind of an odd call-out. But he also played very well in the Senior Bowl. You have him with a fourth-round draft projection. Uh, What are your thoughts on him, and do you think the fourth round is a good value or he's got the chance to be a much better player? I, I, I hear a lot of stuff about him on Twitter, and I want to get your thoughts.
0: So, again, I'm trying to be as agnostic as I can to what I actually think of the player in the projected draft position. I really like Kareem Hunt. Uh, I compared him to Bilal Powell. Kareem Hunt had the most incredible sophomore year of, of a small school guy, averaged 7.8 yards per touch, um, you know, had had 1,670 total yards um, was was really dominant at Toledo that season and I got really excited about him kind of fell off his junior year and then was was really back to dominating last year Um, again it's that small school that kind of makes me doubt he gets picked in the first three to four rounds um, or or I'll say three rounds I see him falling in the fourth round um, because I do think he's a higher-end small school guy Um, but again I just think there's limited upside with, with the smaller school guys, unless you're talking about an Uber producer who tests out well at the combine. Hello.
1: Yeah. Sorry about that. I, no problem. I, I went to cough and I, uh, didn't go back on. I, I was I was in mid question. So, um, who are your favorite sleeper running backs in this class, and uh, and why?
0: So one guy I didn't pay attention to at all until the combine was Joe Williams from Utah. I love his production. Uh, I love what he did at the combine. He has a really interesting story that a few people have pointed out. Alex Gelhar um, of, L- uh, of NFL.com pointed this out. Uh, the dude retired at the beginning of the season. He retired from football, came back, and just went on this amazing tear of dominant, uh, dominant. And he wasn't really like that previously in his career at Utah. And he just came out the gates and and dominated, um, and tested out really well. I really like him as a future third round, third third round pick and and third down back. Um, I kind of see him in that, you know, Leon Washington, Steve Slayton role where, um, you know, in the right spot where maybe an injury pushes him into more touches than a team feels comfortable with. I could see him being, you know, a really explosive, a really explos- explosive, player, really explosive player. <laughs>
1: you, you finished that off well. Um, you. you don't have tight ends on your form right now. Will that be added before the draft and thoughts on some of the key tight ends in this draft?
0: Oh boy, this is a really good draft for tight ends. Um, I didn't do them because as of this year with quarterbacks and tight ends, I wasn't as comfortable with them as I was with projecting wide receivers and running backs. So that's why I kind of left them off. I wanted it to be my, you know, my best work rather than uh, I have a good idea, but I don't, I don't have as much conviction or confidence with the tight ends and and um, and quarterbacks. But I will say, O.J. Howard and Evan Ingram are tremendous talents. I, I expect them both go, to go in the first round, and they are guys. You know, it's tough because you don't want to overdraft tight ends because, especially, people have learned this in, in tight end premium dynasty leagues. You draft Eric Ebron year one and he doesn't get over 700 receiving yards until, you know, this past year. You draft Greg Olson, he doesn't really become Greg Olson until year nine of his career. So not most tight ends aren't Gronk and just don't dominate from, from year one. So it, it's tough to reach, and, and that's why the year one opportunity as well, you know, for MFL 10s, I wouldn't suggest drafting any really, really any tight ends or quarterbacks um, unless it's sort of O.J. Howard or or uh, yeah. Evan Ingram. I, I I could
1: I could see that I took I think I've done eleven so far and I got one Howard share and nobody else uh, simply because I I I needed a tight end I needed a third tight end and it was like the sixteenth round so it's not much of a a downside at that point. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Russell. This was very enlightening. I hope you come back soon. And um, any last thoughts on this draft class?
0: I like it. Love the running backs. Think there's going to be a bunch of contributors from early on, especially, you know, we're looking in that, even in that third, fourth, and fifth round range, I think there's going to be some contributors early on. So I do like them. Um, wide receivers below average, I'd Fade most of them in MFL 10s Unless you're looking at You know Juju Smith-Schuster or Corey Davis Um, But you know I I think there Are some redeeming qualities of the Later rounds here
1: Alright that's great information I thank you very much for doing the show Lately I've been letting The guest pick a song To kind of lead us Out of the show and You kind of joked about my Sam Spence open to the show. So Russell and I uh, agreed that we would lead out with a different song from the old NFL films, and we both agreed that we'd like to hear The Autumn Wind is a Raider. Russell, thanks again for doing the show.
0: Absolutely. Love Sam Spence.
1: The autumn wind
0: is a pirate. Blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering
1: voicelessly. His face is weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, A villain big and bold And the trees all shake and quiver and quake As he robs them of their gold The autumn wind is a raider Pillaging just for fun He'll knock you round and upside down And laugh when he's
0: conquered and won